and welcome to The Uncertainty Principle. It's your famous, famous? Favorite. It's your favorite <laughs> science comedy podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're already off to a running start. That's right. <laughs> science comedy podcast. I am, as always, Dr. Ben McAllister, your physicist co-host. And I'm Dr. Taryn Lobenstein, your marine biologist co-host. That's right. Well, I was just going to tell them that today we have a live episode for them, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, we're just jumping in here quick, just as a quick uh, little introduction. You're going to hear the whole show intro, so there's no point doing all that. But yeah, this week, uh, this month, another live episode from our run at the 2021 Fringe World Festival. So you're going to hear that episode, and then we'll be back with fresh live content on the first Monday of November. Can't wait. Going to be so much fun. But in the meantime, enjoy this live episode featuring two very special guests. Yeah, we'll catch up with you afterwards. Bye. Hello, and welcome to The Uncertainty Principle Presents Science After Dark, a science talk show. Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, We'd like to begin the show by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, the Noongar people of the Wajuk Nation, and paying our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. So thank you all so much for joining us. My name is Dr. Taryn Lobenstein. My name's Dr. Ben McAllister. I'm a physicist. And I'm a marine biologist. And together, we make up the duo behind uh, The Uncertainty Principle, which is a science comedy show that we've run a couple times now here at the Fringe Festival. Do we have any repeat listeners here tonight? Oh, shit. That's yes. the most we've had. Welcome back. Oh, so exciting. <laughs> Friday night, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Well, we have a brand new show lined up for you this year, so um, don't worry if you've seen it before, because it's completely different. And the reason that it's different is that our show's like a little bit cursed. Yeah. <laughs> like a little, just, just a, a little, little bit. bit. The idea of a curse might sound weird to you coming out of the mouths of two scientists in a science show, but we're going to provide the evidence as objectively as we can, and you can draw your own conclusions. Yeah. So Ben and I met back in 2018 at a science communication competition called FameLab. We had a really fun time. We had so much fun, in fact, that neither of us won. We were clearly having too much fun at the post-training beers and not enough uh, attention to detail on stage. Yeah, but so like temp- you're not going to experience you know, that tonight. Well, I would say temporary expectations because like neither of us won that competition. But nevertheless, we decided that we had so much fun that we wanted to make our own science comedy show. And so having literally no experience in improvisation, we decided, why don't we do a science improv show live at the Fringe World Festival? So we did that in 2019. Yeah, it was nuts. Reasonable thing to do. I'm sure you'll all agree. (laughs) But so we had a great time, but this is where the cursed part comes in. Indeed. So um, the first year we did it was 2019, and at the time I was living in Townsville and needed to get to Perth. Yeah, and I don't know if anyone remembers 2019. I know that was like two disasters ago, but um, Townsville was underwater the week of the show. Yeah. Taryn was texting like three days before the show. We'd sold all the tickets, and she was like, uh, my street is flooded, my car, the tire, the water is up to the tires, the airport's closed, I'm not going to be able to get on my flight. And we were like, cool, what are we going to do about this show? But fortunately... Uh, yeah. some power came through for us and it dried up and Taryn was able to get here and we had a great show. Yeah, and so after that, we were like, that was fun, let's do it again. Certainly nothing could happen in the summer of 2020. I mean, it's not gonna, it's not gonna flood this year. It's so dry this summer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by uh, this time, I was living in Canberra and so once again, yep, 
Bushfires, baby. Yep. Remember that? Remember the bushfires? Yeah. And then the airport closed, and like three mm-hmm. days before the show, we'd sold all the tickets, and Taram was like, oh, I can't get to the airport. I'm not going to be able to get on my flight. But miraculously again, the flight came in, Taran got here, and we did the show. I can't stress to you how stressful that whole situation was. Indeed. So then... We figured after that we were done with natural Smooth disasters. Sailing. What yeah. could possibly what could go wrong in 2020? <laughs> so as you know, 2020 happened and we had a lot more warning this time that it might be difficult for me to get into WA. Like ha- 10 months of warning. Yeah, too much some would say. Um, <laughs> if we were going to count off the biblical plague checklist, we've got <laughs> floods, fly- fires and plagues. I think we need locust next year and yeah. then uh, we should be okay. So this year we decided that rather than flying by the seat of our pants for the third year running, we would like actually come up with a contingency plan. Wild. Yeah, I know. So that's how we ended up with this show tonight. So it's going to be a little bit different than what we would normally do in that it's more like a science talk show, but instead of celebrities, it's scientists as guests. If only we were paid as much as them. Indeed. The other great thing is it means a lot less work for us. So uh, we'll be learning along with you as we interview some fantastic scientists from right here in our own backyard. There's a lot of very, very cool science going on here, and uh, we're going to learn about it tonight. Yeah, I'm very excited. So we're also, because we're in more of like an intimate space this year. It's kind of chill. It's cool. It's whatever. (laughs) And we decided to make it a little more participatory. So we're going to have time uh, for you to ask questions of our guests after their presentation. So get those gears ticking over as you think about what you might want to ask them. And we'll also have time for a game at the end of the show that we like to call Survival of the Fittest. Where we pit our scientific prowess against that of our guests and against you. And full disclosure, we haven't won yet. (laughs) Literally, this is our third run of the show, and she doesn't just mean this run. In three years. 2019, 2020, 2021, 0% win rate for us here on stage. So this isn't us flexing. We do this at our own humiliation constantly. (laughs) It's for you guys. So look forward to that, but... I think it's time for us to get our first guest up on stage. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, without further ado, our first guest is a quantum physicist who's recently returned from a postdoc in France. Please welcome to the stage Dr. Jeremy Borel. (laughs) Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad I made it. (laughs) <laughs> so Jeremy was actually one of our inaugural guests back in 2019. I was there in 2019. Yes. Yeah. At that point, he only had to talk for five minutes. And now he <laughs> to talk for a lot longer. So I hope you've got a lot more to say, Jeremy. Well, you know, two, more, two more years of experience. Mm. And yeah, that should feel like five exactly. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Great. Perfect. So can you tell us a bit about your research? What is it that you sure. do? Sure. So um, I'm a quantum physicist. Um, and specifically, my work is about, at its most basic, exchanging energy from one form to another okay, and doing so in systems that would be interesting when that energy is really, really small because when you get really tiny bits of energy, it becomes quantized. Wait, what's a bit of energy? So <laughs> I'm a biologist. I'm going to need some help here. <laughs> so if we think of anything that you can measure, you can measure uh, any interval of Say I want to measure the distance from this arm of the chair to this arm of the chair. Mm-hmm. I can split that up as many times as I want, and then I can take one of those bits. So like go from like 50 centimeters, one centimeter, yeah, exactly. a millimeter, and keep dividing keep, keep up Keep dividing, keep dividing, keep dividing. Okay. And in terms of practical space that we encounter every day, you can do that as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. But when you get down to the particle level of the world, you can no longer break up 
that distance any further. It okay. becomes quantized, as okay. in it's one packet or one bit of energy. Um, and that's the smallest it can go. That's the it smallest it can go. Smaller. So on like the wow. fundamental level of reality, things are broken up into, hey, um, <laughs> broken up into indivisible chunks. Exactly. Um, and this is a consequence of the fact that little particles, when you get down to that level, stop behaving like little particles and they start behaving like waves. And so you can only have a whole number of wavelengths in existence. You can't have half a wave. So this means that you can only exist here or here. You cannot exist anywhere in between. Okay. All right, so fundamental particles, very small things, obey different rules to the stuff we understand. Like this, this cup here can be anywhere at once, but if this cup was an electron or a very, very small thing, it could only be here or here, but, but none of the space in between, and that's quantized. Yes, but the weird thing and a consequence of this, and this is where it gets weird, is that, in fact, that cup, if it was an electron or a fundamental particle, would be in both positions at the same time. Ah. And this is where, this is where that sounds me. like a witchcraft <laughs> comes to me, Jeremy. Yeah, and and really for for many scientists it is. And I think there's a very famous quote that as soon as you think you understand quantum physics, it means you don't understand it. Mm. Um, mm. Well, <laughs> I must be an expert. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, specifically, what I'm interested in doing is taking little packets of energy and moving them, like I said, from one form to another. And the reason I want to do this is uh, for quantum computing, which is something you may have heard a bit in the news. It's becoming a more real technology as the days go by. You now have companies like Google and IBM and Honeywell who are building quantum computers, mm -hmm. and they're starting to get these things online. Now, they're not perfect, and they're not working exactly the way they will one day work, but they are starting to become real. I so think what is it that a quantum computer can do that my yeah. laptop can't? What makes it different? A very good question. Um, so the power of quantum computing comes from that weirdness of quantum particles that they can be in two places at the same time or have mm -hmm. two energies at the same time. Um, an analogy I like to use is that if you think of a classical computer, which is made up of bits that can either be zeros or ones, these are your transistors in your classical computer, think of that like a coin, mm -hmm. heads and tails, right? It can only be one or the other. And all the data in your computer is like encoded in a series of heads and tails. Exactly. Laid out on a table. You've got head, tail, tail, head, or zero, one, one, zero. That's your binary, which is classical computing. Mm -hmm. For quantum particles, that coin is spinning in the air because it is heads and tails at the same time. Mm -hmm. And what this lets you do is rather than try this combination of heads and tails, then change one, try that combination to solve any given problem. Right. So that's like computing, right? You give a computer a problem and it just like tries every combination until it finds the solution. Exactly. It has to try every combination of heads and tails until it finds one that works. That's right. So this is that is what happens when you Google something? Like it does that every time? <laughs> I don't understand computers. I can't stress this enough. Yeah, having uh, been close to Taryn and technology this week, I can confirm she does not understand computers. I'm or, trying my best. Yeah. So, all right. So that's a classical computer. Yes. So then for a quantum system where everything is spinning at the same time, mm -hmm. um, rather than brute forcing the solution by trying all the different combinations, it tries all of the combinations at the same time. Oh, so, so just like take the time it takes to do something, make it way less. Exactly. Okay. So this is where you get what's called exponential power improvement in your, in your computing. 
Uh, I think it takes something like 30 quantum bits or qubits uh, to over a thousand times make a computer a thousand times faster and more powerful than your classical computers, oh, wow. um, which have you know. Uh, millions and millions of bits in them just 30 that sounds pretty easy jerry <laughs> well what's the holder <laughs> there's a, there's a few a few issues with 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 what you have at the moment and you have companies like google who are claiming what's called quantum supremacy uh, and well, you that have, does not sound good <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you have um, a university in china who are also claiming they have even better quantum supremacy than Wait, Google. Wait, what is quantum, quantum supremacy? supremacy? So, so quantum supremacy just says that they've designed a computer that uh, operates faster, solves a problem faster than a classical computer could. The problem mm-hmm. is that they have designed a very specific problem for their computer to solve, which isn't that applicable or useful. So we're just like life. made up. A, it's like how in baseball we say we're, we've won the World Series, but like we're the only ones playing <laughs> That's baseball. That's right, yeah. I'm yeah. American. <laughs> yeah, if you couldn't tell by the accent. <laughs> <laughs> so like they just made up this term for quantum computing, but like nobody's really doing it yet. Well, they are solving problems that classical computers can't solve. They're just not very useful problems. Excellent. So they, the, the problems have been designed for the computers to succeed at. Um, the real issues you have with these systems is twofold. You have, you need error correction and you need fault tolerance. And these, these are sort of really complicated things, but to go back to my coin analogy, mm. a really big thing you need to try and do in these systems is keep those coins spinning in the air mm-hmm. because it's very easy to stop them spinning at any time and lots of things will stop your quantum coin from spinning and then ruin the extra power that you have. Um, so particularly this is my area of work is how to move that information that is a spinning coin from one place to another or one form to another if you want to store it in memory or if you want to um, send it through an optical fiber so that we can send it over long distances. Um, it needs to change its energy form. How do you keep the coin spinning while that happens, while you do that transition? All right. So let me see if I got this. Quantum computing, we know it's going to be great, but right now it's limited by like technological factors. We have a hard time keeping the coin spinning or the qubits working, and you're basically working on stuff t- to make them actually work. Is Yes. All of sort of the peripheral devices that will be needed if you actually want to build an infrastructure out of these things. And if we can do this, there's some really huge applications that come yeah, out of it. Yeah, I was going to say, what is, what is it that we move on to once we get past problems well, we created for the computer? There are so <laughs> many problems in our world that can't be solved by classical computers because they're just far too complex. They have too many moving pieces. Um, to solve a quantum system, you need a quantum system. So something like the human brain, which is an inherently quantum system, is something that a classical computer cannot handle the complexity of that system. But with the power of quantum computing, you could simulate it. Um, Are you well, saying, Jeremy, that we're all quantum computers? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in essence, yes. You have neurons firing you heard around it here your first. brain. You uh, can sell your brain to Google and you'll probably do just fine. <laughs> but can you make or like... Is that like AI when you like replicate intelligence? There is questions around being able to build artificial intelligence systems with them, Mm. but then you sort of need to introduce machine learning into into systems and and that's a real dicey area. Um, But something like photosynthesis, for example, where something that nature's done, it converts sunlight into energy for the plant. This is something that we can't model on a quantum level because it's far too complicated. I think you have... I can't remember the chemistry, but something like a benzene ring 
was, you know, one of those. Everyone hydro- knows a benzene ring, right? <laughs> Hands up, who loves benzene? <laughs> Uh, you have a, have a complicated molecule that is converting UV energy uh, into food for the plant, and it does so with an efficiency that we can't replicate in, in solar panels or solar systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can simulate and model these kinds of systems, then there's you know, huge, huge uh, impact for our energy markets. Wow. Okay, so lots of cool problems we can solve with quantum computers exactly. if we could build them in such a way that they could solve problems other than the ones that we designed specifically for, for them to solve. <laughs> yes. Right. Very cool. Yes. Can, How? I also, oh. no, Can I also ask, just physically, like, are you doing this at a computer? Are you in a lab? Like, so how I'm do an you experimentalist. I'm, I'm doing it in a lab. Um, so we operate um, using a four, of using microwaves. Um, which is like uh, like actually like microwave, not like, like an appliance can, microwave, hide up the but food in. like the radiation that your microwave is using to heat the food. Yeah, that's the radiation I'm I'm using, and I'm using that light to interact with different devices. Do you ever like multitask and like get your lunch next to the experiment? <laughs> we don't use the same kind of powers as a. a um, would as it be a regular... bad for the food, or would it just <laughs> um, mess well, up your experiment? No, it would probably do nothing to the food because. Huh. That's the way that we know about. I don't know if you guys have heard about this 5G, but I've, uh, I got another show that uh, you can come to later. That's after After Dark, where we bust open the conspiracies. Um, yeah, no. Um, so, so we, yeah, we we build uh, specifically in France. What I was recently doing was using 3D printing um, to build structures that are difficult to manufacture, mm-hmm. um, uh, which allow us to interact like a little magnet, which is full of electrons, with microwave radiation. Wow. Okay, And do that in ways which improves the strength of the interaction between the microwave and the little magnet and the electrons in the magnet, um, which is all about keeping that, coin spinning mm-hmm. because it's about the, the speed at which you can send energy from one system to another and if you can do that faster than the energy is being lost from your system then you can do a quantum transfer of information so if that cool. makes sense yeah. hopefully i think so yeah, to change okay. directions slightly jeremy i understand that you've recently been doing something a little bit extracurricular with your research in france that uh may be relevant to to everyone in the world yeah so um yeah, I mean... That's broad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> um, down in the basement. Um, no, um, we... Um, I mean, doing research uh, under COVID in France was quite challenging. Um, yeah. We were sort of barred from our lab uh, and couldn't go in. We were you know, uh, under lockdown and had to stay in our apartments. Um, but the, because we were doing 3D printing, the French government put out a call for anyone who had manufacturing capabilities to assist in any way they could. So we started um, 3D printing uh, PPE to give to hospitals, so um, the, the oh. head straps to go around visors. And so we had our little 3D printing lab and, and started out you know, for about a month there, um, turned our attention to, to printing uh, PPE for, for the hospitals. Um, That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Like, could you churn enough out? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Give them answer. That's great. <laughs> That's why we come up here. Um, could you churn out like enough stuff fast enough for it to be used? I mean, it was really for the for the local hospitals, yeah. and that was at a point in time where PPE was very hard to get your hands on. Mm. Um, so it was more about rather than waiting, you know, 
two weeks or a month for stuff to get delivered. Um, I was out in the very western point of France, quite quite far away. Um, if we can just make get it made locally and get it made within you know a couple of days, then get that to the hospitals. That'd be much much better. Yeah, that's Fantastic. so great. Yeah, so I think you know I think probably a lot of scientists have now turned their attention to things like the virus and even in the field of quantum computing there's a lot of talk of how can we use these computers to try and model and um, predict the next type of virus that's going to come out of the um, come come into the world um, I, I think thought we were done <laughs> uh, well yeah we'll uh, see um, <laughs> well that's all very cool um, however I think it's time do you think it's time I think it's time I think it's time Georgia can we please get some house lights so we can see if any of these lovely people have any questions for Jeremy Hands up. Stick them up. And uh, this is not a robbery. It is an opportunity <laughs> to ask questions. We've got one in the middle here. Shout it out and I'll repeat it. Once you get things working, will Game of Thrones download faster or even instantly? So, no, a quantum computer will never... What do you never... mean, no? <laughs> I thought you said I... we were going to do useful things yeah, with I would this. say that that means that it's not working. If it's, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, if you can't do that, then get back in the lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really hate to break everyone's hearts, but a quantum computer will never replace the kind of classical computer you have. They're, they're fundamentally different and used for different things. Um, Boo. So the I'm quantum sorry. Com- <laughs> quantum computers, maybe they can uh, fix the final season. Am I right, guys? Oh. Right? <laughs> that's, that's more up their alley. Yeah, yeah. Something, something really complicated like that. Okay, great. great. Anybody else? We've got one down here. Sorry, oh, a couple. Sorry, did you have one over there? No? Okay. Uh, who else in the middle? Okay, right here. Uh, what does a com- quantum computer look like? Well, yeah. what I mean, does a quantum computer look like? Is it very, very small? The irony of that, I think, is that to operate a quantum computer, it needs to be done at extremely low temperatures because otherwise you have all of the thermal uh, heat in your particles that make them shake. Uh, that ruins all of your all of your quantum states. So they actually need to be operated in things called dilution refrigerators that go down to 10 millikelvin, which is uh, 0.001 degree above absolute zero. Easy. Um, that sounds easy. Uh, Isn't that the temperature we need to keep the vaccines at? <laughs> Not quite. Um, and the, these dilution refrigerators, I'm sure you can imagine to get temperatures that low are, are really quite large things. In terms of the hardware itself, that's mainly all on chip. Um, and you're building and building sort of little circuits out of semiconductors or you're uh, trapping uh, electrons or various things, but a, a lot of it looks like it's on chip. Yeah. Do you need lasers? Do you need um, lasers? Not. Mm. You you mm. you can do it with lasers. You can do it with laser cooling, but you can also just brute force it using um, a refrigerator. Sounds like a classical solution to yeah, me. Yeah, that's Jeremy. right. You, <laughs> you get enough compressor power through it, um, and you can you can do it. Yeah. Uh, if, the lab at UWA where um, Ben works. Um, has about four of these things now. Indeed. I think. And the, they get things very cold, but the rooms they're in are very hot. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, I think we have time for one more. One more for Jeremy. I see one in the middle there. Hey. <laughs> Jeremy, Quantum Ethics 101, go. <laughs> yeah, You've I, got uh, 17 seconds. For <laughs> I would... Uh, I would answer that by saying I'm a physicist and not a lawmaker. So, I mean, primary, and there are lots of ethical concerns that arise with quantum computing, such as their ability to completely uh, nullify our current level of cybersecurity um, is, is a big concern. 
um, uh, as well as such ethical problems as you raise. And I think we need to hope that we can keep our lawmakers on top and up to date Woo. with the technology. Hey, if you're laughing, vote differently. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a lot of power to do something about that. If you don't like the people who don't know about science. That's right. Sorry. Um, and now I think, a political I think, show. I think keeping, uh, keeping, lawma- keeping lawmakers and our politicians abreast of what is happening um, at the cutting edge of technology is going to become more and more important um, because this... This technology has the potential to change a lot of things, like like the scenario you mentioned. Um, and we need to hope that they are making the right decisions because as physicists and engineers, we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep trying to discover this technology and make it work because the potential positive outcomes and benefits are immense. Yes, there are some negative ones, but we need to make sure that those are not being those paths aren't being taken and and that needs to be legislated around for sure yeah we need to move on but i will just jump in and say as well there are actually there are people working on this issue um it's like with any new technology it's like there's good and bad that you can do with it but that doesn't mean we should stop um it just means we need to to think about things and there there, there's a whole field of research around quantum ethics so i'd encourage you to google it in the meantime we got to move on um so i think it's time to give jeremy a round of applause and bring out our next guest can we please get dr shannon algar our second guest to the stage Shannon is a mathematician. Shannon's a mathematician studying swarm intelligence. So, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the show. The lights are really bright. You'll get used to it. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Yeah, no worries. Um, So, can you tell us a bit about your work? Because when I saw that you studied swarms, I was like, I didn't know that that was a thing that a mathematician could do. So, please explain. Yes. So I'm a mathematician. I'm an applied mathematician. Um, so that means that my work uh, needs to be uh, relevant and useful and applicable kind of now-ish. Um, there are other mathematicians that kind of uh, don't have uses in mind for what they do. My stuff needs to be used. Shade Is prone. that shade at the no. quantum scientists? No, no, no. Jer- Jeremy is experimental. We're on the same. We're on the oh, same okay. Team. We're right. on the same team. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of an experimental mathematician, um, but I'm not in a lab. I've got a computer. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, my work started out looking at something called the selfish herd hypothesis. The selfish herd. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, theory from evolutionary biology about, like, why animals would hang out in groups. Okay. Um, right? There's lots of disadvantages to doing that. Um, what are the disadvantages? I love hanging out in groups. <laughs> Co- competition. COVID, Banter. COVID. Well, You've been there. It's we're a WA, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like competition for food, um, uh, for mating. Um, there's, there's issues there. So they need a theory about why birds would flock, why fish would school. Mm-hmm. Right, um, And the theory was basically that all the individuals are being selfish. So uh, they're trying to avoid predation. Um, so I'm going to, every movement that I make, I'm going to do it so that uh, my odds of survival are better. But more importantly, I'm going to do it so that your odds of survival are worse. Wait, this is like they're all mean girls. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like they're traveling in a pack, but they all secretly hate each other and are wishing the worst for each other. Yeah. That's what that theory is. This is the theory, right? And, well, not, not theory. When, uh, oh, okay, terminology. I, I guess so. So when mathematicians and, and physicists, scientists say theory, we, we mean fact. Um, mm. So it's 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 not that. 
Um, it was a hypothesis. Hypothesis. Right. Okay. Um, but it was super important. It underpinned a lot of biology. Um, mm-hmm. But no one had ever actually looked at it. So that's not good enough. Really? Yeah. They were just like, oh, this makes sense. I'll apply my human morality to this and say the only reason they'd be hanging out is so they can fuck each other over. (laughs) Preposterously human perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hundreds of papers kind of observing this behavior, but not really. Um, So what we did is we simulated it. Right, so I took a bunch of these birds, virtual birds, they're dots in my computer, mm-hmm. and I coded them to be selfish, right? So I defined- How, I, I have so many questions. <laughs> right? So mathematically, I defined selfishness, and uh-huh. I, I asked the birds to optimize that. Like, I know that this is code, but I just picture you like leaning into the computer and be like, okay, now guys, I'm gonna need you to not care about your friends, yeah. and then just, Making that the code. Remember, you're number one. (laughs) Tell that to all of them, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, nailed it. Um, Yeah, and and so we do that. We step back. We let the birds sort of go and do their movement, and we observe it, and we say, okay, cool, this looks like birds. Um, And and the the behavior that we encoded in them is producing reasonably – reasonable behavior it is causing them to aggregate together and it's causing these flocks to kind of move around and do some really interesting stuff wow so when you say it makes them look like birds are you like literally visualizing dots moving around on a screen yep so like you could watch it you could put it on youtube yep yep so (laughs) and like animate them maybe and that could be fun and and (laughs) people do right um if you see birds in a in a movie it's probably not birds it's probably a computer simulation of birds but surely they're not simulating them as robustly as you are for your research (laughs) (laughs) no there's a mathematician that works at pixar and his only job yeah is to simulate their birds yeah Yeah, Yeah. the the like penguins in the batman movie they're all simulated if you see big bunches of crowds um or or mobs or anything like this like they're not paying thousands of extras wait really Um, yeah Oh, <laughs> I just wanted to be an That's extra. That's very sad. Yeah. Well, so, which Batman were there penguins? I was wondering that. I know as well. Danny DeVito was at the penguin. Yeah, in one were of there them. lots of penguins <laughs> in that one? Yeah, they marched down oh, the street. Okay, right, oh. right, right, right. Cool. Yeah, I think so. It's been a long time. Sorry. <laughs> um, very cool. Yes. So, so that is um, their swarms, and uh, more than that, they're intelligent. So, um, swarm intelligence is the ability of these groups to um, sort of solve problems. Right, so um, uh, bees and ants, um, they're your sort of classic um, examples of of swarming behavior. They can solve problems that uh, we can't, right? So um, So are you saying- Like how to make honey and also how to get all the sugar off my kitchen counter. (laughs) (laughs) So are you saying that the swarm itself has intelligence? So it's not just like a billion really stupid bees makes one kind of smart bigger bees. Mega like, bees. No, no, that's, like it's that's that exactly it. It's like oh, that pa- is it. It's like right? a power range. Oh, okay. It's, it, it's important that they're all really dumb. It's important all. that they're all dumb. And no, then, say more about that. And Why? then from that, uh, this superorganism can emerge. Superorganism. Right. Okay. Sorry. Why is it important that they're dumb in order for the swarm to overall have intelligence? Okay. So if you have, um, well, they need to be independent. Right, so they they need to be able to collect information for themselves, um, sort of locally. So just based on what's nearby them. Mm-hmm. If they're sort of too free thinking, or they're off doing research that's <laughs> too too distant from the task at hand, um, then things are going to break down. 
Right? So, so like humans. Like humans. Yeah. So, so a lot of parallels with your opinions about mathematicians and your opinions about <laughs> math so, so it's like wisdom of a crowd, right? Wisdom of a crowd says that you should all win the, the um, competition that we're going to do. And they do. Yeah, usually. And we always and lose this game to the audience. And you should. Right? Oh. So wait, are you calling them stupid? <laughs> Individually. 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 Not, Individually. Not, don't, don't get it twisted. She's saying you're all dumb personally, <laughs> and together you can be smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. So it's sorry. important that they're gathering information just in their local area, but, but staying near the swarm. Yes. Okay. And then that enables the overall swarm to be smarter. Yes. And, and how? So, so let me give you some examples. Yes. Um, okay, so ants um, can solve what's called a traveling salesman problem. It's um, they call it that for ants, right? It's the ants call it that. Mathematically, <laughs> it's what we consider a hard problem because if we want to solve it, we have to actually crunch the numbers. We have to we have to look for every single solution and then compare them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to get the, the, let me tell you the problem. The problem is that there's this traveling salesperson. He's got to go to a bunch of different towns and he wants to do it in the shortest way. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, really hard problem. That was expensive. You put a bunch of food sources on a map of the towns, right? And then you just let the ants go. Okay? And the ants will map out the shortest path what? between it. Because they're all doing their own little local explorations. They're, so all they're doing yeah. is following pheromones that are nearby them and drop in their own pheromones, mm-hmm. right? That's it. Um, and from that, we get um, the correct answer. They've solved the problem. They didn't even know they were doing it, right? You don't even have to have a brain to do this. So slime mold can do this. What? Yeah. <laughs> Who was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this slime mold do a maze test. The well, Japanese. Traveling. <laughs> they did. Yeah, the yeah. Japanese, yeah. okay. So they're currently, um, they're solving um, sort of city planning. Right? We've got this town. Where do we want our train stations to be? Why do people get degrees in this stuff? You could just let slime mold do it. (laughs) Jesus. I feel useless. Can slime mold do my job? God. Welcome to Mold Town. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. So these swarms can solve problems even now, like most advanced computers can't. Just by using, even though the individual parts of them are dumb, together, just accidentally they solve the problem. Yeah. That's very fucking cool. Yeah, so wow. what does your research do with that information or what, what do you do with these things to, to, to go on? Okay, so <laughs> at the moment, um, we are working on um, something called a reservoir computer. Different type of computer to a quantum computer. You guys are going to fight computers later. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> Battle Royale after the show. Because they've got similar objectives. There are a bunch of stuff that our ordinary computers can't do. Right, um, a reservoir computer is using a dynamical system, which is just anything that responds in a interesting way. So what we've done is we've taken our birds, our birds dots on the computer screen, right, and we've kind of probed them with an attack. And the birds, it's evolutionary be- beneficial for them to sort of learn about this attack, so they respond to the attack. Mm-hmm. Um, information travels through the group. And so by monitoring the group, we can learn about the attack. Okay. Right? And more than that, we can learn about the future attack and what 
what the predator is going to do because the birds have learned to respond and and to learn. Wow! A so you're not only way. simulating what happens once; you're then simulating future learning. Exactly. Wow! Right. So it's it's a sort of machine learning, but it's in the mathematician's playground instead of the computer scientist's playground. Um, computer scientists are kind of more concerned with like optimum performance and and really eking out the very best um, <laughs> that a computer can do. We're more like, well, this is cool. Right, we're using birds as a computer. <laughs> so, so that's good, right? Okay, mm-hmm. it all makes sense so far. But the interesting part is, well, what if we don't probe this swarm with a predator, right? Let's probe it with something like a stock price. Okay. Stock price? Yeah. The birds. The, the predator, yeah. Bird so, Wall so my predator is going to move according to a stock price. The flock of birds is still trying to avoid it. The information about this stock price is still rippling through the swarm. The swarm is still learning to predict future movement of the predator. Okay. So now we've got this swarm of birds that is intelligently learning to predict stock prices. This is insane. This is insane. What? Yeah, I'm going to write a sci-fi book about it. Yes, please do. I want to read it right now. So what you're saying is the birds are going to own us all in like 30 (laughs) years or something. Yeah, I I have to admit the performance isn't great. (laughs) But but it could be. (laughs) That is so fascinating. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, fantastic. Gosh. Do you think it's? I think it's time. Should we? Yeah, let's yeah. open it up for some questions. Thank I you, have Georgia. many. If you guys don't have any, yeah. but we will give you an opportunity. Anybody? Anybody down here? Yeah. When when you're when you talk about sort of programming these birds to be selfish and move around, do they have uh, like a, an objective or a reward function or something that they're trying to achieve? Yes, exactly. So um, in that case, it was spatial. Um, they had a, a tessellation of space around them. So uh, between us, there's a wall, basically, and everything on this side of the wall is mine. Everything on that side of the wall is Taryn's, and I have walls with all of you that ultimately like, create a sort of polygon around me. So that's their space, and they're trying to optimize it. Yeah, so that's a fitness function. Hmm. Cool. Anybody? Oop, okay, we got three. We're going to try and hit them all. Down here. I guess uh, you spoke about bees and uh, ants in a hive system. Is there anything sort of aquatic or... Oh, yeah, fish. Fish! Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what I study. Fish swarms. Are there fish swarms? Schools. Absolutely. And there are very selfish fish schools. Have you ever seen bait balls? Yeah. Yeah, so we think that they're, like, entirely selfish. They will do that until the entire population is decimated from, like, above and below. So seagulls attacking from above and, like, big tuna coming in from below. And they will continue to do this because locally it's still better if I stay here and try and fuck you guys over. (laughs) Wait, wait, but what about in Finding Nemo when they're all stuck in the net and then they all swim down together (laughs) and then they get out of the net? That's kind of good swarm behavior, right? Does that ever happen? Yeah, that's not swarm behavior. Oh. Uh, I mean, it was a movie. Oh. They're just like us. Uh, okay, I think we had one over here somewhere. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's a phrase that's becoming more uh, popular that um, humans have space-age technology with a stone-age mindset. Um, and as our technology and understanding is ex- exponentially exploded, we're still essentially cavemen running this stuff. Just <laughs> like yourself, all of you. Have a responsibility to help evolve the human. Ooh, we really should have an ethicist on stage. Yeah, that's a big question. Getting a lot of the ethics tonight. Do we have a responsibility to evolve the human? I feel like oh, responsibility is yeah. hard, man. I don't know. Like that's a uh, thanks hmm. for jumping in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
we've, we've got a responsibility to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Try to make it funny. Uh, well, I don't like well, doing chores. No. Um. For me, I work in policy and now. Um, and so a lot of the thinking about that stuff belongs in, in that realm. And there's social scientists that work on ty- that type of stuff. We're all the like in the lab people that like, yeah. we don't really leave the lab a lot. This is the most socialization we'll do all year. So like, we should not be the ones trusted with that. We're the, you know, the engineers making the bridge, but somebody else has to ask, where should the bridge go? Who should be consulted about this bridge? And so there are definitely people for that that aren't us. We can like go to the meetings and be like, this is what I think, but lots of other people besides us should be consulted. I think we need an ecosystem of people, like we said, like ethicists and people like policy-focused people and scientists working together to, to try and come up with those kinds of solutions. I think if you leave it to any one group, you're not going to get very good results. That's my personal take. The one thing that we do have, though, is the ability to sort of simulate. So, so this is kind of what's so great about, about agent-based modeling and this sort of swarm intelligence that's virtual because I can play out your ethical scenarios and we can see what happens. I can do experiments right, without having to go through ethics. We can test selfishness. We can, we can, we can test uh, driverless cars and what should this car do in this situation and we can see what happens um, without having to, you know, kill people and stuff. So we're Shannon's going to save us that. all, but unfortunately <laughs> we're out of time for questions. If you want to talk to these guys, you're going to have to talk to them after the show and that's fine. Uh, in the meantime, do you think it's time? I think it's time. Yeah, I think we're going to play our fun little game. So can we please get our research assistant, Nula, to the stage and uh, hit us with those funky lights, Georgia. Yeah! So we got the LEDs, so you know it's a game. Give it up for Nula. Hello, hello. Thank you very much. Um, So welcome to the final segment of our show, Survival of the Fittest. So in this game, it's Ben and Taryn versus Shannon and Jeremy versus you find people in the audience to see who really knows their very random science trivia. Uh, So the way it works is I have some multi-choice questions in my hands on my top secret question cards. I will read them out and you will have 20 seconds to discuss and decide on an answer. Our teams on the stage will write down their answer on the question, the answer cards in front of them, and you guys will vote on an answer with your clapping and whooping. Okay. Okay, are we all good? Ready to go? First yes. question? Let's go. Get us. So, two truths and a lie. So, yes, guys. Guess got the lie. Guess, guess the, the lie. lie. We fuck Thank this up you. every time. Yeah. Guess the lie. <laughs> Last year, they literally wrote down one because they were like, it's true. I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A, swearing reduces the sensation of pain. B, 30% of Earth's oxygen is produced by the ocean. C, the diameter of Pluto is smaller than the width of Australia. Okay, what? and go. Oh, what? Okay, are we ready? Very nervous about this one. We're very nervous. Okay, okay. So, audience, which one of these is a lie? Is it A, swearing reduces the sensation of pain? Ouch. Everyone knows that's true. (laughs) Everyone likes a good fuck when you stop a joke. (laughs) Okay. Is it B, 30% of Earth's oxygen is produced by the ocean? 
Or C, the diameter of Pluto is smaller than the width of Australia. I think that was C. I think that was C. Yeah, I think that was C. Okay, what do we have on stage? We also said C. C, okay, and B. Well, guests have it tonight. Fuck! No! (laughs) That That pain I'm feeling right now. Let me swear through it. Over half of the Earth's oxygen is produced by the ocean. Over half? Some scientists think it could be as much as 80%. Wait, so that was true then? What? No, I said 30% of the Earth's 30%. oxygen. Yeah, okay, I thought you said over 30. Okay, never mind, yeah, yeah, never mind, yeah. never mind. Fuck, forget about me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go. go, go, go. Ben is okay. very salty. Okay, yes. Which of the following is not an abbreviation for a chemical compound? So think like DNA is for deoxyribonucleic acid. These are the abbreviations. Okay, so we're looking for the one that isn't real that I invented myself. Okay, is it A, dead cat? B, Sex or C, fart. Ooh. Okay, and go. Okay, okay, okay. Ready to go? We're ready. Okay, audience. Which of the following is not an abbreviation for a chemical compound? Is it A, dead cat? Is it B, sex? Is it C, fart? I think that was C. Uh, C? It was between B and C? Nola, you're the arbiter of this game. Okay, okay, I'm going to say it was... <laughs> okay, okay, we got a very confident person over there. Okay, I'm gonna say it was C. Okay, okay, guests this time. What do you have? A. Okay. We also put C. We're C. going with the audience. Okay, audience, host, you yes, got it. Oh, we're all tied up. Yes! One, one, one. Nula, the tiebreaker, please. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, come on. What? Only the guests got the first. Anyway, Nula, okay, go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Okay, in proportion to its body size, the male of which animal has the longest penis? Is it A, barnacle, B, giraffe, C, blue whale? Okay, I'm going to give you 10 seconds of this because we're running out of time. Okay, marine biologist Taryn seems pretty confident here. It'll be embarrassing if she gets it wrong. Okay, okay, okay. Audience, is it A, barnacle? (laughs) B, giraffe? (laughs) C, blue whale? No love for blue whales. No love for the whale. A? A, you're all correct. Barnacles, penile appendages can be up to eight times the length of their body. Wait, That's horrifying. Wait, Nula, very, very important. Did the audience get the first one? I don't remember. I don't think they did. I think we all tied, right? Yeah? I don't know. We I'm calling lose. it a tie no, for my no, own pride. So thank you very audience, much. Audience, you said C. You got the first one wrong. Yeah, yeah. Two, two apiece, yeah, everybody. Two apiece. We, we finally it's a tie. didn't lose this game. Hey. Go us. Oh, wow. Okay, well, thank you so much to Nula. We're going to dismiss Nula and our guests now. Thank you to Jeremy. We do not have time. Oh, we're running over. Over time. I'm Jeremy. sorry. Can I'm we get sorry. more applause for our guests? Thank you so much. Oh. <sighs> 
Listen, I want a tiebreaker too, but but we got to get going. Hey, you're going to have to come back to one of the other shows you can't because they're sold out for that tiebreaker. <laughs> uh, hey, well, speaking of that, thank you so much for listening. Very special thanks to our research assistant, Nula. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much to our guests, Jeremy and Shannon. Big thanks to our producer, Lily Prada, and of course, Georgia up in the booth. Hope you all have a great night. I'm DJing a silent disco set in 43 minutes, so get over there and see me at the Pleasure Garden. Good night, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, great. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed listening back over this episode. I thought it was especially fun. Yeah, I, I we have such amazing guests. I feel so lucky that they give us their time and let us gently rib them yeah. in front of a live audience. I mean, Let's take it, some guts. Isn't it also incredible that we were able to do a live show in 2021? Like, we, I mean, we kind of <sighs> talked about it during the episode, but even so, yeah, it was so cool, so fun. We had such good guests. Like, we've still got a couple more live show episodes from this Fringe World coming your mm-hmm. way, so stay tuned for those. But yeah, fresh stuff next month. Um, anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed it, please go ahead and follow us on social media. I'm at Dr. BT McAllister. I'm at Science Terran, and you- together we're at at Principal Cast. Yes, or at Curio Network um, on various social media platforms. Um, it's really, really awesome and helpful if you can give us like a rating, review, or a comment, or something, or just tell a friend about the podcast. Help us get the word out there. Yeah, I mean, we love it. And also, like, I'm going to read the reviews. And if you say nice things, then it will it will give me a sense of, of joy and happiness. And that should give you a sense of joy and happiness. So it's like it's win-win. Win-win-win. Pay it forward, say. baby. Pay it right forward. And uh, we, are exactly. still, <laughs> we are still on the lookout for some extra producers. So if you're interested in getting involved, we have a bit of paid work available. So hit us up uh, on any of those platforms or at uh, ben at curionetwork.com. See you guys soon. We always end the show the same way, and it always sounds very fresh and organic. Uh, so until next time. <laughs> Stay uncertain. That's it.